Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The passage of time will now bring you to something strange, unique, and idiosyncratic. Have a good time. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too, and I'll be right there behind you. Constant listeners, and welcome to another episode of The Losers Club. I'm your host, Michael Monroeville Mall Rothman, and I think you know by now that I am still at Chapelwaite Manor. Uh, what started on the porch with Adrian Brody uh, continued in the dining room with Emily Hampshire, and now I am going to go into the cellar myself. But fortunately, I'm not alone. Holding the <laughs> candlelight is. This is Gen Two, the Rage Adams, and it's pretty scary down here. So. It's a little, it's a little creepy, and I, and I'm kind of getting the candle. <laughs> I, I'm glad you got the candle because now I can see all the worms that are dripping off of the ceiling. <laughs> I think I'm hearing rats in the wall. God uh-huh. knows what else. I think I saw something move around in the corner. I don't know yeah. what they were thinking, but <laughs> when we when we agreed to do this third and final interview uh, for, for Epix's Chapel Wait. Uh, they insisted upon that we do this interview in the cellar of the Chapelweight Manor. Um, and <laughs> Scariest as you, place possible. Yeah. And it is a scary place. As you heard uh, in our interview with Emily, this real-life location is a haunted house. So mm-hmm. um, I'm kind of spooked out. I, I, I know you're creeped out. But mm-hmm. here's the good news. We really aren't alone. We Not only do we have each other. Um, which is, which, what's the song? It's love will keep us together. I don't remember <laughs> the that. The candlelight will. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we got three folks that are joining us, uh, two of which are uh, brothers. Uh, we have yeah. Jason Flaherty, Peter Flaherty, both uh, executive producers and writers of the show. And then we have the executive producer, Donald Deline. Um, and very, very lively chat that we have up ahead. Uh, you know, we had 15 minutes with Adrian. I'm going down the rundown. 25 with Emily. Well, we got 45 with them because they had a lot mm-hmm. to talk about. They, we went into, oh my God, Jen, we went into like everything with them, I feel like. I feel, we I feel, really did, yeah. <laughs> I feel like we were mm-hmm. coming up with questions again, like on the, like the spot, because to, to keep it going. Um, I know. It was yeah. just so fantastic. And I got to talk about Flatliners. You did. You get to talk about Flatliners. <laughs> and I, so if you, or not to go on too much of a, a tangent, but in Flatliners, who's the MVP hunk for you in that? I don't know. I mean, it's got to be either, uh, Kevin Bacon, William Baldwin, Kiefer Sutherland. Like, how do you choose between those three? You know, and I this know. is 1990s versions of all of them. I'd say probably, I don't know. This was the genesis of my crush on William Baldwin. So William Baldwin? I'd probably choose him. Yeah, although his character is kind of a jerk in that movie. Is, is William but. Baldwin, did he appear in uh, Backdraft or was that Adam Yes. Ball? Okay, cool. Yeah, he's I uh, Kurt remember. Russell's little brother in Backdraft. Yep. Okay, cool, cool. Crush intensified I'll, there. So. Oh, I bet. Yeah, yeah. That's a Chicago story right there. Uh, Chicago oh, yeah? firefighters. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I love Backdraft. is Chicago too. Is, oh, yeah, it is because I think they mm-hmm. shoot at like New, Northwestern University in that. Uh, yeah. Well, we should mm-hmm. ask that. Anyway. <laughs> 
Chapelweight is not in Chicago. It is up in the New England area. And you're going to hear all about the New England area because uh, mm-hmm. the Flaherty brothers are from there. And they have a lot of really great stories, uh, some um, local stories that add the flavor and kind of spooky. In, in, in ways, you can almost look at this interview like a soul's midnight. Uh, they yeah. get some spooky stuff. And um, let's just say it's not all Stephen King that's bringing <laughs> the horror here. So... Um, we should just get to it because we got 45 minutes and we'll uh, we'll see you on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you want to talk about Flatliners some more. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Clear. <laughs> <laughs> Flatline. They're getting smaller. He's dying. Brain death. Now it's real. Start filming. Let me defib him. He's dead. Isn't that enough? Let me try and bring him back. Just watch the door. Excuse me. I don't want to ruin anybody's evening, but are we in the room with a dead man? This is Mike Rothman from the Losers Club. And I'm Jen Adams from the Losers Club. Hi, Jen. Hey. Hi. Hey, Mike. Hey, Jen. Let's start about the man of the hour. Uh, you know, how many of you all grew up with Stephen King? What, was, you know, what are your origin stories with the Master of Horror? Oh, let's see. Yeah, I think all of us are huge fans. I remember uh, mine was I read The Shining at a very young age. And uh, yeah, that was my first foray into the King world. And that um, that scared the hell out of me. And uh, (laughs) I was young. I was probably, yeah, I don't know, around 12 or something. And uh, but also put me on that path of horror. I just loved it. I loved I loved feeling scared. And that book did. (laughs) I uh, for me, it was. when I was 12, my grandmother was part of a book club. She would get a hardcover book of the month and she gave me Salem's Lot. Oh, uh, makes sense. And I was living in Connecticut. I was in New England and, and here was real Connecticut small in a small town, Connecticut small town horror. And it just, as you can imagine, I, I scared the hell out of me and spoke to me in so many ways and, and <laughs> I never recovered. <laughs> You stayed there. Yeah. <laughs> you really have, you know. Uh, Donald, what about you? Uh, the Shining, like Jason. Read, read The Shining, scared the hell out of me as well. Um, I love being scared. I've always loved scary movies and reading scary literature. Um, so it was definitely The Shining. And then, of course, Jack Nicholson made that, you know, permanent imprint on my brain. Um, and uh, and that was it. He really does hook you in like that. I mean, oh, it's yeah. Just- Oh man. Have you all since carried on with his works and like, you know, tried to read through more and more or, um, absolutely. Right. I just finished his latest Billy Summers. Yeah. I, I bought it in the airport and, uh, and read it on this flight. I, I mean, uh, this story is great. I mean, right. It is. Oh, so good. I loved it. So good, man. I recommend it to you. I, I, I was going to give it to my brother last time I was home, but I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you mentioned Salem's Lot. So did uh, Chapel Wait kind of stem from your involvement with the Salem's Lot miniseries for TNT? Uh, for me, I think it uh, certainly did because Michael Wright was the head of TNT at the time when we did Salem's Lot. And, and now he's the, he- the head of Epics uh, and MGM. And, and so when Donald came in with this great short story, uh, Jason and I were also talking about a different project with Michael Wright, and he thought it might be good to uh, introduce us to each other and and see if uh, <laughs> if we got along. And uh, fortunately for us, uh, we did. Yeah, uh, and I think I, I think that Donald had watched Seventeen again and really thought I, I need to get Jason Pilardi <laughs> on this project. 
Uh, oh, that's genius. But yeah. you said it yourself. If you can do comedy, you can do it. <laughs> that's right, Donald. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I, this is so stupid, but like, do you mentally consider this, or maybe you literally consider this in the same world as that adaptation, considering this is a long, faraway prequel? Oh, yeah. But what's great about Salem's Lot and, and with Chapel Weight and with, um, you know, Russell Banks' Continental Drift is that there's certain books that just have this this real gritty connection and authenticity to New England. And, and I think that uh, Stephen King did it in uh, the short story, Jerusalem's Lot. It's just a different era. Yeah. You know, um, I've often said that the life expectancy in 1850s United States was only 40 for both men and women. And you just get that sense in the world that Stephen King creates in Jerusalem's lot. I don't know. It's just, it's just, it's just real. It's just everything of his is so grounded and wonderful. It really is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He has a, a yeah. knack for doing that where he just, he must have such a picturesque like imagination because all of his works have these fine little details that do really ground the story where you do yeah. actually just feel like you're there. Like you feel like he's yeah. turned on these streets before. It's strange. And I also mm -hmm. feel that same way. I also feel that same way with his, I always say this with his characters. When I read his stuff, I feel like I know that person. I went to high school with that person. I know. Totally. So you, you know, I, you feel like he draw. He probably draws on a lot of people that he has come in contact with over the years, and that because um, they're just relatable. They're 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 your neighbors. They're like I said, someone you went to school with. And, mm -hmm. and that's what I think is so fascinating about Chapel Wait is it feels like they feel like real people. You know, it feels like Stephen mm -hmm. King's world. And there's for a story that's like ostensibly about vampires, there's so much humanity in it that I mm -hmm. just love. And I think it really draws the audience in. And I was fascinated by because Jerusalem's Lot's probably I would say maybe a lesser known Stephen King story. Um, and it's kind of an outlier just in the way that it is structured and um, just not being said in the present when he was writing it. And I loved how you took little mentions in the story and fleshed them out into, and I'm thinking specifically like, I think Miss Clovis in the story just mentions a baby being born with no eyes. And that becomes like a big part of the plot, which I thought was really fantastic. And I was just wondering how you kind of approach taking like a, a pretty, I don't want to say it's small, but it's a pretty limited story and stretching it out to eight episodes. Yeah. Oh, 10. I'm sorry, 10. It is like you, you noted earlier that uh, Stephen King has such a, a gift for details that like you say, he writes a little detail like that. And, and it just, it's so evocative that you can, you can spin, you can riff off it. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. you know? and, 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 and regarding, you know, the groundedness of our characters, I really have to tip my hat to Donald on that. He, he's, he's just really a, a great collaborator when it comes to keeping characters real and psychologically motivated and, not just spinning off into horror land, but but keeping it. Well, thank you for saying that. Yeah, and, and I think it made all the difference. And you guys are great at at, at making them real and really, um, you know, those those relatable and and very kind of resonant themes and the family relationships and the themes of otherness and all these things that really resonate with us. Um, you guys handled them so well but like king laid all the seeds in for these things so it was almost like an advent calendar you could open these little windows and go into them you know and 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 the filardis really just um 
let their imaginations go wild and, and really created um, these fantastic characters that we have now. Yeah, you know, and it's it's such an or unorthodox show too. You know, like watching this, the first thought I had was like, holy shit, you know, someone went back and made a, you know, a 70s gothic horror film, you know, that I loved growing up, you know, and and, and it's there's there's a there's like a slow burn myth, you know, ethos to it. Yeah. That really does feel almost contradictory to, you know, what's the, you know, a lot of the fast-paced TV sometimes today, you know, was this a hard, you know, project to get going because I mean, it's it does feel like very left the dial in a good way. I, that's why I love about it so much. That's re it's really interesting. I mean, it was, you know, Michael Wright, who, who Peter mentioned runs Epics and, and I had worked together before and, and our friends and we were talking and he said, you know, I'd love to find something in the Gothic horror space. And that's what kind of, you know, <laughs> wow. let me, yeah, right. Looking for this. Yeah some kind of source material that was brilliant. So obviously the first place you go is Stephen King. Um, <laughs> and then we found out this story had the rights available. And of course, loved the, the story itself and, and everything he created and, and set the table for. Um, so Michael really was open to this Gothic horror, you know, genre, which wasn't really out there. Um, and in terms of, you know, we've been talking a lot about this, that, the pace of it and you know you really have to settle in with this family and really let them draw you in and trust it because the payoffs are so great that mm -hmm. the parties created that i think people are it's a very gratifying and satisfying end and resolution um as well i agree well it's and it's so it's it's wild too because even talking to a lot of our um our constant listeners and constant readers about it, the logistics of the story are kind of crazy and a little all over the place too. Like you'd think like, like we were trying to debate like the Chapwaite house, the mansion itself, right? Like yeah. you look at the mansion, you look at all the history, you know, you think, okay, well that's certainly gonna be the Marston house. But then you hear about this in Salem's lot. It's like, well, Hubie yeah. Marston built it in the thirties. So it's like, wait a second. So was it hard to kind of find the spatial locations for everything when you're doing the narrative? Because it's very connected, but it also feels disparate also. You know, when you're reading Jerusalem's Lot, you might wonder, is this the Marston house? Is, you know, <laughs> is this Hubie's house? Because it has, you know, it is a house of, of ill fortune and, and, and a house of legend and a house that sort of looks down upon and haunts the town. And yet it's not. It's the Boons. It's, it is a different house. You know, it's yeah. in, in two different stories. It's Chapel Wait, and it has its own lore and, and its own demons and uh, uh, secrets. Yeah. Well, and so I think there are some thematic elements that are similar in both stories, which I loved. Um, and it's one of those times where it's like constant readers, I feel like will pick up the nods. But if you're not familiar with King's stories, then you can still enjoy the show. And I was wondering, um, were there any kind of deliberate nods to Salem's Lot when you were adapting and kind of creating this story? Hmm. I'd say no, uh, guys, unless you disagree. I think it was really about Jerusalem's Lot. Yeah, yeah, we uh, we we never to to be honest, we never really sat down and had conversations about about uh, Salem's Lot when it pertained to to um, developing this. I think we we always looked at this as as a story in in and of itself. Yeah. Although of course there are, you know there are <laughs> there are things put up, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, it wasn't really. A I don't think we actually ever had that conversation. No. It's interesting how it weaves it in. You know, we were texting 
while watching, I was like, wow, it kind of seems like Minister Martin is a little bit like Father Callahan, a little bit. It's almost <laughs> like there's like this uh, weird yeah. sort of like, well, the past is always going to be echoed. Like, the, you know, right. things in the history right. is always going to echo. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I feel like Denison, uh, our Constable Denison has shades of Parkins Gillespie. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're yeah. absolutely right. You're, you're right. And, and, you know, there is sort of an antagonist in our show that, you know, you can sort of trace the lineage of, oh, totally. well, this is where these type of villains first came from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, without, I don't want, I guess I'm not trying to give away. <laughs> <laughs> right. I know, that, is it's awful, that is awful vague but yeah there are some seeds yeah. yeah that's one thing that I found really fascinating was seeing kind of the elements that are similar but seeing them go in different directions not to, right. to spoil anything and I just loved a lot of the resolutions of things because I was not expecting them and just oh, found it fascinating so to play with this oh yeah yeah like playing with those same themes but making them their own you know Right. Well, so one of the things that I love about the show is how it's lit and how atmospheric it is. And mm-hmm. I was wondering, because Emily told us that the Chapel White House might have actually been haunted. And I was wondering, is was there anything <laughs> that scared you or that was challenging about making a show that's so dark, like visually dark? Well, well that was so... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Don't. I feel like that was like five questions. <laughs> no. no, it's good because there's a lot of levels to it. Because mm-hmm. one thing thematically that the Filardis really tapped into being New England boys and growing up in Mystic, uh, Connecticut, that Charles being a whaler and whalers and whale oil bringing light into the world as the world was developing and evolving was something that mm. they really loved thematically and that they wanted to be, you know, part of the fabric of the show. And then when on our location, we had the actual house, which is reputed to be haunted. And then we built on a set, a lot of the interior rooms of the house and lighting them with oil lamps and creating that actual real source light was something, a very deliberate choice that took a lot of work and care. And, and it was something, it was very important. It's one of my favorite parts. <laughs> oh, that's good. The whole look and feel of the show, we really wanted it to, we were hoping to really capture the, <clears throat> the essence of 1850s Maine, which was, 18, which was a really hard time to be alive, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> it fun. was, uh, yeah. my brother says the life expectancy, like he says, 40 years old, that, you know, our streets and preacher's corners oftentimes are very muddy and rainy and wet or <laughs> not. Yeah. Um, it, it, these are hard scrabble people with, uh, um, so all of that factored into it. We just wanted to be really authentic to the time period and, and the darkness is part of that. The interplay of light and dark is sort of also like, you know, the darkness is a bit of a metaphor for, uh, prejudice, racism, ignorance, ignorance. Yeah. Uh, and Charles is sort of pushing back against those shadows, uh, mm-hmm. as a character. And it's also interesting, just just on a pure visceral way, the way light pools in a, in very shallow pools with a lamplight, and there's there's shadows all around you. Donald was always like, "It's what's going on just outside that ring of light, you know, that scares the sh- that could scare the shit out of you." Oh, yeah. totally. <laughs> Do you have any visual references or inspirations for look of the show? Just because it's so. The thing I love so much about it is that it really does have an aesthetic and it's an immediate aesthetic. Like the second this thing begins, you're in. And 
and yeah. I wondered how much concentration was really given to that, that the, the look, the aesthetic, the feel. Um, and if you had maybe even kind of like a scrapbook of influences going into this, you know, whether it was even literature or even, you know, artists in the past. Um, I know for me, I just loved uh, the film uh, Jesse James and the Coward Robert Ford. Totally. Mm. Yeah. And, and that, yeah, that authenticity, that stripped down naturalistic cinematography spoke to me. And it was something that we would mention with our DPs. I think we all wanted the world to feel very um, raw and real and visceral. It wasn't to be glossy or anything like that. And that's something Jason, Peter, and I always, always agreed on very strongly. Um, and um, you know how necessity is also the mother of invention um, and ending up in Nova Scotia to make this show, just the good luck of finding this young up and coming production designer named Matt Likely who had done these Robert Eggers movies, you know, The Witch and The Lighthouse, which are so yeah. visually striking and arresting and so raw and gritty. And he is from Nova Scotia also, he's a local guy. And so he just fits so perfectly, he got it so beautifully he really and, does yeah mm -hmm. you know uh I, I always said one movie that i would reference sometime is um you know you can read shakespeare and you can watch all these beautiful shakespeare movies that they do and everybody looks so wonderful and then you watch polanski's Macbeth, and you go oh right that, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. that's really how it was yeah mm -hmm. right so so it was like <clears throat> let's do chapel weight like that I mean, that's how it was. It was dirty and it was grimy and it was dark and it was scary to be alive then. Oh, totally. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's what people forget so much when they look at a lot of period pieces is that, yeah. you know, it makes me think of, you know, like even like Barry Lyndon in which you wow. know, the authenticity was so key yes. for him to have the natural lighting and that respect and, you know, to really disregard the notions of the, the sort of um, ceremony that yeah. a lot of period pieces are always put on. Sure. Um, and I feel like that's certainly instilled in this show. Um, mm -hmm. You know, do you, do you feel maybe production being during COVID helped, you know, emphasize that a little bit because you're, you were so isolated out there? I think it all helped. Our real location, our real setting, our limitations from COVID. We didn't have, you know, a giant fancy budget. So everyone had to really roll their sleeves up and, you know, uh, lean in uh, some of the real stuff because we couldn't do it another way. You know, right. I love that. You know, I, I, we used very little visual effects and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. The, the, our director of photography, uh, Miroslav Balzac, who really set that look, um, you know, he studied cinema in, in Poland uh, so we were hoping, and and I think it's, he brought that sort of European sensibility uh, and, and uh, to the show, and I and I think it just it just it just gives us a little a, a wonderful wrinkle of something. I don't know, but I love the way it looks. I, yeah. I love the way, I'm so happy with the way the show looks. Yeah, it's yeah. it's dazzling. <laughs> it is Blacks one of the things I loved about it. <laughs> I love how gory and bloody the vampires uh -huh. are. You know, because I mean we've seen. Yeah. A lot of different interpretations of vampires, but yeah. I feel like this the blood is splurting and they're like dismembering people and it's it's fantastic and it's really scary. And so I was wondering how you approached the creature design, especially for for Jacob and for some of the other vampires. I think we started uh, immediately. We knew from the start that we wanted 
to go away, move away from the Twilight vampires and even yeah. the Anne Rice mm-hmm. vampires where they're all pretty and they look great. And we were going back to what is a vampire? Nosferatu. Yeah. yeah, we like the not. I mean, the, he's classic, right? I mean, Nosferatu. Mm-hmm. What a great, like, still scary. It creeps me out when I see. So, so we knew we wanted to go back to those, those kind of vampires. I always said barnyard vampires. That's kind of what summed <laughs> up for me. They're like vermin, you know, yes. they're like vermin. They're deaf. They stink. They, like you said, they want to rip you apart and drink and just, um, and that, that was, you know, that was really where we started. And then, um, we, we started working obviously with, um, with our, 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 God, we had such a great monster team on yep. this, uh, mind warp and, 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 and we started working on the looks of those vampires specifically and saying, you know, yeah. the nastier the nastier the better especially jacob it was like yeah really go back jesus mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, yeah it, it really is like harrowing stuff that you have there it, it's, it's funny that you mentioned the the sort of um the old school vampires especially the rodents because like the first thing i thought of was like herzog's uh nosferatu also yeah, just yeah, like that, yeah. that almost like there's like a there's a endemic quality to it, or like a, it, it does feel like there is a, a sort of um, quarantine that needs to take place after, uh, <laughs> you know, them coming in, which is, I guess, you know, interesting and serendipitous given everything that happened last year. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, with, with when coming in with like the folklore and, and, and the aspects in that respect, you know, did you look beyond King also into kind of developing like even just kind of the areas for folklore, especially, you know, coming from the, you know, being born in New England, were there any aspects of that upbringing that you had that you brought into kind of building up that folklore yourself? Um, we read early European folk tales of vampires. Um, we're, our mother is from a town called Jewett City in Connecticut, mm. where anybody who knows vampires might know that that's where a real case of Connecticut vampirism took place. Uh, where a guy's family d- died off one by one by one. Jesus. And, uh, so we, 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 I don't know, we just sort of uh, sunk into everything vampire that we could find. And there were many great tales we found that we weren't able to use, unfortunately. Like uh, there's one myth that if you lead a horse through a graveyard, a black horse through a graveyard, it won't step on a vampire's grave. And we were like, oh, what an image. That's creepy. (laughs) Somebody, you know, at dawn, you know, with the mist leading a black gelding through a graveyard is going to be fabulous. And we just never had a place to put it. But yeah, but 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 we put it in other ways, you know, with with, you know, rules about stepping into a, a consecrated ground or you know a churchyard or you know things like that so you really got it in there regardless yeah. you know how did much king have any sorry yeah, go, go for it no that's you, you jumped on it go for it Jen. Sorry, Jermaine, yes. <laughs> did king have any insight into um or any involvement in adapting this well he he um he read everything, you know, and so when when the Filardis finally kind of had the Bible for what the show arc would be and the 10 episodes and all that, he read that, you know, he he gave his seal of approval every step of the way. So he was he was very involved in that regard. Um, but really, uh, you know, the Filardis really built out um, the mythology and, and where the show takes 
and furthers the short story. Jen, I, I'm going to toss this to you because you you have okay. I think you have a pretty interesting spiritual alignment here on on, on a previous project, and I wanted you to. I know you've <laughs> yes. been itching to ask this, so just go. For <laughs> I it. really have. Uh -oh. I've been so oh excited. So, um, I am a huge fan of Flatliners. <laughs> I uh -huh. love love that movie. And so when I was thinking about it, I was like, well, there's a little bit of a connection there. There's like because it's kind of a story about like dying and coming back, and that's something that we see in in Chapel Wait. And I was just wondering if there was any part of Flatliners that was in your head, or maybe <laughs> any part of Salem's Lot that was in your head with Flatliners. Say something oh. interesting here. Oh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Come on. <But> yes. <laughs> it is. In, it, that is interesting. Um, I don't know if there was consciously. But, you know, one aspect of our vampirism at the end that is sort of vaguely flatliner-esque might be that the vampires can choose to hold on to or release as much, you know, can hold on to as much humanity as they choose to. It's mm -hmm. a struggle, but you mm -hmm. could hold on to it. And that humanity could defy death, you know, in, in, in this, in that, you know, in, in that logic. So I... I I think that's kind of interesting and that's kind of the type of thing that, that a theme or an idea you might've found in Flatliners. Yeah. Well, but and thank, that's you. One of the thank you, I'm glad you liked that. I'm glad you, I can't <laughs> oh, believe yeah. uh, you, you even remember it. That's very <laughs> cool. Oh my gosh. It's a long time Here. ago. <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the things that I loved about Chapel Wait. Um, and I mentioned earlier, like I feel like there's so much humanity um, because we've talked about how the vampires are like really bloody and really bl brutal and violent. And I mean, I don't want to spoil anything, but they're not all like that. And right. I loved like the, the kind of contrast there and the question of how much humanity you can hold on to. And I just was right. wondering like, how is, is that how you see it? And was that an intentional thing that you wanted to include in the story? It was intentional, I would say. Mm -hmm. I mean, right, guys? Oh, it's yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, especially for the ending uh, where Charles makes the ultimate sacrifice for his family to save them. You know, I, I, in my mind, it's an effort, but he's holding on to what, what human, whatever humanity remains, and he's clinging tight to that to to save his family to make that sacrifice in time mm -hmm. yeah well one of the things that's been sticking with me and something actually we were kind of hinting at with uh adrian when we we're talking to him is the idea that like as a hu as human beings we we're really good at like not learning from the past <laughs> you know and i feel like if there's anything that we've seen this past year that's certainly a cautionary tale that we can continue to keep taking to heart and continuing to neglect and, you know, I wondered if that's, you know, a theme that you're really trying to kind of wrestle with and hammer down with Chapel Wade is this idea that, you know, our past sins, our past, you know, wrongdoings, like we have to learn from it. And, you know, if, if, if that's kind of like where a lot of the source of your thematic, you know, value came from with this. Yeah, I think, uh, I think that's, you hit a good point. Um, the, the, the past and what is the past and what our characters past plays a huge role in this. And not only um, can you learn from it, but can, you know, does it define you? And um, are you able to, to break oh, the chains of that past and, and create a new future for not only you and your family? And that's Charles Boone's huge dilemma through this is, you know, he, he's, he's basically suffering. His father was 
off. He believes he's suffering from hereditary madness. He believes his biggest fear is I'm going to pass this hereditary madness onto my children. So his whole pa- his whole life is running away from his past and and then it catches up with them. And so, yes, it's, and then at the end it's, can, you know, can he break, break that and, 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 and go on a, to a new life and, and a better life for his children. Which is such an American tale in itself. I mean, it's just, it's the, sure. just coming from a background in history. One of the most perverse things I think in this country is the sense that like came over here with the idea and conceit to create something that's going to be this like, you know, great place and freedom for all. And it just feels like, you know, even looking back in a lot of like the colonial tales that you hear, it's almost like you came here and you're like, all right, let's just make the same mistakes again. <laughs> like, you know, let's just yeah. let's just bring them and carry them over. We just continue to keep doing it again and again. And I, I think that's something that's the, one of the more palpable themes I feel like in this that I that I love. And I think one of the more palpable themes, I think, in horror is just reminding us of that fallacy over and over again. But in, in but, horror, there's usually an original sin. Yeah, it's what kicks off the cur- a curse, right? And so, um, you know, our our original sin involves vampires. It's 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 dressed up in 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 horror guys, and the original sin of our country, you know, yeah, would, would is something else, and and it's something that involving slavery or yeah. you no know, indentures. You know, you could say that, you know, that's something that we have to try to work our way out of with regard you mentioned curses and one of the things i've been thinking a lot about that lately not just because i've been cursed or anything like that but um <laughs> you know what are your thoughts you know especially growing up in new england in that area where i feel like so many the legends and histories and mythos of curse come from what are your thoughts on the idea of curses because i feel like there's a lot of folklore and especially where you come from do you believe yeah. in them <laughs> i think uh, i think i think when you when you grow up you're right when you grow up in new england you you are literally from from childhood i know that we were you are steeped in um um ghost stories and i i mean the homes in mystic connecticut's a very old old town and uh and the homes all around date well back you know to the uh late 1700s and or 1800s the home we grew up in was in the 1800s and i know a lot of people on it but but our our home was haunted and mm-hmm. we had numerous uh um numerous things went on so we had a house and in the back of the house was a studio and this this house used to be owned by a pretty prominent uh, New England painter at the time named Y.E. Soderbergh, and um, and he used to paint in the back. And as so, my parents bought the house, and then we turned the studio into the kids' playroom, put a pool table up there. But I mean, we grew up with looking out, and the lights would be on and then off. Oh, yeah, I would gosh. shoot. I would <laughs> shoot pool. I would shoot pool up there. No lie, the balls would start rolling around the table, and you just put the stick down and run the hell out. Um, <laughs> as, as kids, it was always like, who could, spend, who could spend the night in the studio? It's like, who could do it? Who could actually spend the night? And nobody made it through. Uh, yeah. so, uh, <laughs> look, I am a hundred percent believer of this stuff. So I, you know, I'm, I'm telling you, this is, this is, this is all true stuff. I think my brother can chime <laughs> in, but when it comes to curses, that's some hauntings, but you're just, you know, New England, that is New England, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that is, and that's what's lovely about it. And that's why my brother and I has always wanted to do a New England story. And so we were so grateful when Donald uh, uh, brought this to us. But as far as curses, I think a curse for me is uh, an actual curse because I did some stuff on, on um, um, voodoo years ago. That the, the curse itself really depends on how much weight that person who's being cursed puts into it. Yeah. And, 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 you know what I mean? If you believe, oh my God, I've been cursed and all my hair is going to fall out and you start stressing, guess what? Your hair might start falling out. <laughs> So, uh, but otherwise, if you put no weight into it, I believe, ah, 
we're all right. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's You're fair. cursing yourself. Yeah, You're cursing yourself. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the things, um, speaking of cursed, was there anything that <laughs> felt really challenging to film? Because I feel like you really oh, got into the world, and we kind of mentioned maybe the house might have been a little haunted. Did was what was the most challenging part of filming? The mud. Mm. <laughs> oh, wow. Mud. There was so much mud. <laughs> <laughs> so much mud all winter long, and and. All night, you know, you're shooting vampires. You're out at night, and it's cold, and there's mud. Yeah, <laughs> God. And 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 very changeable weather in Nova Scotia. Very harsh elements. A lot of wind. So uh-huh. wind would come up, and that creates all kinds of complications. And uh, you know, some poor actors had to get in the freezing cold ocean. Oh uh, God, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, um, yeah. <laughs> that was there was numerous nights where my brother was peeling off his boots and his socks and putting them by the little heater in the trailer um trying to, <laughs> trying to get his socks <laughs> dry again uh, it had nothing to do with the holes in his boots just that it was- <laughs> yeah peter how long have you had those boots <laughs> uh peter's an heirloom new englander <laughs> yeah he's a true new englander yeah. oh. oh my god was it was it easy to forget that um you're not you know in the 19th century <laughs> like <laughs> like when you're on set where you're just like oh wow okay all right i'm pinching my arm like did it actually like literally feel like you were there at points where you sometimes it did we yeah. we built that town in creatures corners you know and from nothing and you know we spent a lot of time there and you do you know you've got horses and carriages and oil lamps and it's it's great you get really into it yeah. 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 When they built the bar, you know, that was all repurposed barn board, all the floors, the planks are, you know, 17 inches wide or so. I mean, everything, the art department went way above and beyond with detail and uh, to keep everything authentic as they could. I mean, fantastic job. Again, I mean, I sound like a broken record, but it is really stunning. And I love that mm-hmm. there's a lived in feel to it. I mean, just yeah. even watching just the little alleyways. And I'm just like, God, it really does feel like there's been someone that's been living in this area for decades <laughs> and there's like neglect. Like, I think that's one of the things yeah. that I forget with set design is that like neglect is so important because that's, yes. you know- There are the, weeds growing up out yes. of um, yeah. yeah, and I love mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, but yeah, I mean, going back to the house, because I'm, I'm as someone who's obsessed with like spirits and haunted stuff, I, was there any moment while you're shooting in this house, especially now that we found out during this interview, now I'm all in. I'm like, all right, I gotta go. Now I'm gonna go find where this house is and I'm gonna stay there. Um, was there a point where, you know, maybe you're wrapping up, you're kind of walking away, and you're like, eh, it kind of feels like someone's watching me in this house or like there's something weird. <laughs> oh, man, I wish I had that story. I wish I could say it. Yeah. Um, but I, I didn't, did you? But, well, Gosh. we shot one of the houses we shot at. It was the Morgan Boarding House, and yeah. I was. It, it is a. Uh, it's a museum of sorts, and uh, they had a plaque on the wall. And the original owner and builder of the house, this couple, had lost five kids oh. to childhood illness. And finally, after losing five kids, they couldn't take it anymore. And they left Nova Scotia for good. Mm-hmm. And, and just reading that plaque just made, I just thought the overwhelming sorrow that must be 
imbued in these walls and in this wallpaper? And how did parents weather that type of emotional trauma? I mean, and that's where I, Mike Henry, uh, Babry Henry is born there and, and uh, lived in that yeah. room upstairs. And we shot those scenes there. Isn't that interesting? That's yeah. Yeah. Good, yeah. That's another element that I love of the show is bringing in that parent connection too, which I think is, it's kind of in Salem's lot, but I feel like he really kind of played with it and explored it. And it adds like such an emotional weight to the yeah. story that I really appreciated to take it yeah. in a completely different direction. <laughs> um, <laughs> what was it like working with all the worms? Oh, ask very demanding. He's got some good stories about the worms. Yeah, Adrian is the guy to ask about that. Yeah, yeah he told us he actually put one in his nose. He did. He did. Oh, God. He put one in his nose. This is it was unbelievable. I think. I think the funnier. I think the funnier part that that was gross, but it was. Um, there's a scene when he's. Uh, down in the basement and he looks up and there's worms in the rafters and, yep. and you know, poor Adrian has to look up and we're up there dropping them on his face. You had to be cut. That one's in my mouth. Can we stop? Can you try, try oh. to drop my mouth? Yeah. Um, uh, it's like you woke up that day and you're like, all right, well, um, okay. Eat breakfast, uh, throw, worms, <laughs> throw worms in an Oscar winner. Uh, pretty wild. Uh, um, he was. Guy, if, if we didn't have, if we weren't having him, you know, uh, eating worms or blowing them out his nose, the poor guy was digging holes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was like every every episode we realized we're like, oh my god, we have Adrian digging digging again, and the poor guy has a, ba a bad back. And uh, oh, oh no, oh, God. Uh, you know, Peter, you adapted Salem's Lot. You've done this. There is a third. There is one for the road. Is there any interest in going back for the third and just making, you know, being like, well, I'm the one that tackled all three. Uh, how about that? You know, I like that. It's a great idea. Why not? <laughs> you know, it's funny because like that's so that he's there's making a, a note. He's making a note. <laughs> you know, I am. Right now, now. Because right. honestly, like I will say like they're, you know, they Stephen King has that dollar baby program. And, you know, there are a lot of young filmmakers that go in there, they sign up for the movies. Everyone always tries to do one for the road, but they, it's so hard to do because it's so atmospheric. You know, it's mm -hmm. so integral to have like the blizzard that's in there. You gotta say, after seeing, you know, Chapel Wade, I'm like, all right, th this crew's gotta do it. You, you have right. to do this story, <laughs> finally. Oh, that's cool. I hope yeah, Donald wrote it down as well, because- uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the other phone with King's agent right now. Oh, nice. <laughs> Ooh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> I know that um, you also wrote the teleplay for The Road Virus Heads North, which is another one of my favorite King stories. Is there any other of his work that's not vampire related that you'd like to get your hands on or adapt? Let's see. Gosh, there was one that I tried to get set up. Uh, I can't remember what it was. Um, well, there's a few other stories that are great. You know, one that's sort of a, uh, has shades of flatliners even is sometimes they come back. I you love know. that story. Oh, That's no. one of my sort favorites. of has shades of like you know you know a past, an evil, a, a sin. You know what I mean? It, it totally does. That sort of. Mm -hmm. It also feels a little bit like uh, that fantastic French series, The Returned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know, which I, I love to death. Uh, so that that's an interesting property, I think. Well, this has been a blast. I, I just absolutely love this series. I really want this team to keep going and making more stuff. You know, it's it for us. It's you know, we we cover everything 
in King's Dominion. We cover, you know, all different adaptations and, and, and what have you. And it's always exciting to find a team that like knows the spirit, right. You know, mm-hmm. like they can That's get so the, great. you know, so look, if you're, if you're all writing down that one for the road, know that you've, <laughs> you've got our, us all in just to keep pushing awesome. for it, pushing for awesome. it, pushing for it. Um, Michael, Michael, I suggest, I suggest you take a little uh, trip over to um, Fall River, Massachusetts, and perhaps spend a night in the uh, Borden home. Okay. Ooh. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's funny because this, this, so I am, I'm starting to do this now because I'm from South Florida. And so the only real places that we had were haunted down there were just that the thing in Key, Key West with Robert the Daw. And then we also had the Biltmore, which is just, just flooded with the stories and whatnot. Didn't really see anything there but much, but this weekend I am staying at this place called the Brumder Bed and Breakfast in Milwaukee. And oh, uh, it's on nice. Friday the 13th. So my girlfriend's into spooky stuff too. So I'm just like, she's losing <laughs> oh. it because she's just like, you know, this will be fun. I'm like, I'm just sitting there like, I'm just like going to be up all night, just like looking around being like, praying uh-huh. at something. apparently the ghost pulls your hair or something like that. So I'm just like, uh-huh. uh, you know, I love that. Fingers That's crossed. Cool. As long as it yeah. doesn't drop worms on you, right? Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's definitely stay in touch. I'm hoping we see more Florida brothers uh, uh-huh. on, on more projects. Zillian, you're, you got to stay together. Keep the trio going. Uh-huh. So, thanks so much. We're appreciating this so yeah, much. Yeah, we love you guys. Oh, oh thanks yeah, a lot. We we'll it. talk soon. Oh. All right. Well, that was a fun interview. I think you got enough of Chapel Weight. I think you got enough of Flatliners, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> Never. I, it's not it, possible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the first three episodes of Chapel Weight are available to stream. If you haven't watched them, I don't know what the hell you're doing uh, listening <laughs> to these <laughs> interviews and also the TV review. Um, honestly, they probably work if you if you watch, you know, if you listen to the stuff beforehand. But please go ahead, go watch those three episodes and continue along, um, you know, Given how much we really love this series, and honestly, the the response on Discord has been pretty favorable as well. We might maybe we'll do an end cap episode uh, come closer to October. You know, it'll be spooky yeah. season. It seems right. I don't mind going to Chapel Weight Manor again. Oh yeah, when things it's a very are going- spooky show. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you could just literally put like a jack-o'-lantern on the the porch, and I think it would just totally fit right in. Totally. Um, Mm -hmm. Reminds me a lot of uh, Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow, which I discussed on the the TV review episode. Um, Mm -hmm. Jen, where can they uh, uh, find Flatliners to stream? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think now we're going to have to do an episode on Flatliners. I think we're going to have to. We're going to have to do like a create episode on Flatliners. (laughs) We just talk about the cast the entire time. Um, I mean... Yeah. There's a lot to say. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. You can find me at Jim Ferratu. Please feel free to send me photos of the cast of Flatliners. Oh, there nice. If you want to. <laughs> on all of the socials. Um, you can find me on Psychoanalysis um, talking about mental health and horror. We just recorded a gigantic episode on Assassination Nation, which should drop in a couple of weeks. So look out for that. And, and you got a yeah. piece about Assassination Nation, don't you? I, I do. Know. Yeah. In the next Grimm magazine, I am um, talking about... Um, violent patriarchy so it's just about the most me piece that has ever made you know hey you know you know it's uh we got to lean into what we're we're good at you know that's right we got to flex those muscles and which is why i'm always talking about steve harrington i'm always talking about (laughs) dogs and i'm always talking about uh breaking bad um yeah and i guess now (laughs) i get to add walking dead to the fold i'm uh i'm almost done with that show who who, who would have thought anyway um (laughs) Anyway, we got a lot of content coming up, if you couldn't tell. Um, I mean, literally just dropped the Maximum Overdrive <laughs> episode on the way into recording these. So we have the Maximum Overdrive commentary that we literally just dropped on Monday, which is available on patreon.com slash the Barons. And we also have another interview 
in this feed. Oh my God, this is like becoming an interview show. How about that? But um, <laughs> Friday, we're, t- we're going back to Castle Rock. Not Castle Rock, Maine, though. Castle Rock, Oregon. Uh, because our 35th anniversary celebration of Stand By Me is going on. It's going to continue. We're going all in because we still have one more interview. We got uh, with uh, a special interview with the screenwriters, uh, Bruce A. Evans and uh, Reynold Gideon. And uh, mm-hmm. they tell us all about the production history, some uh, some of the hurdles that went into writing Stand By Me. They have some awesome stories about m- first meeting Stephen King at that famed screening, uh, mm-hmm. in which he had to, you know, um, you know, console himself. Yeah, the emotional just, reaction. Yeah, to it. yeah. Oh. So there's really great stories, uh, some of which involve uh, Miller High Life, which I thought was or Miller Light. I can't remember <laughs> which one. Either way, I thought that was uh, it was a, it's a cute story, but. Um, Lots of really awesome tangents in there, too, especially if you're uh, fans of Mr. Brooks or uh, mm-hmm. even Starman, which uh, they both wrote. So uh, look for that. And then um, we're not done <laughs> this this month yet. On the Patreon back at the Barons, patreon.com slash the Barons, you can get our next archival series, which wouldn't you believe it? Stand right. by me again. It's the body related. So we're going to be talking about Stud City and uh, Lard Ass. Uh, so, or Lard, is Lard Ass? Lard the Ass Revenge here. of Lard Ass Hogan. Yeah. yeah. So excited. To, we're recording that this afternoon. Mm-hmm. And we literally just put together our schedule for September. And it's really exciting. We got a lot of stuff that's coming up from then, and including another long watch. And um, yeah. you, can, you can scope out the inter- anniversaries that are coming there. We're trying to get a special guest, uh, maybe a familiar face that we've had in the past. Um, maybe a familiar face that you've seen actually on screen. I, I, I'm jinxing it because I haven't even actually gotten a response <laughs> back yet. So we'll see if it happens. But uh, anyway, I think we've had fun at Chapel Wait. Yes. What about you, Jen? Did you have fun at Chapel I, I did. Scared the shit out of me, but yeah. it was fun. It was yeah. a fun ride. <laughs> I got two more episodes. I'm excited. I'm going to Oh, and they're really good. I can't <laughs> wait because I'm waiting to get dark outside. I'm going to get my candy corn out. I got actually brownie mix. <laughs> and what I've been liking is Ooh. putting the candy corn on the brownies. Pretty good mix. Nice. That sounds good. I don't really like candy corn on its own. But you know, that it sounds delicious. You might dig it because it, the the candy corn's got a chewy uh, aesthetic, and so does mm-hmm. brownies. I don't. I think that's the thing that gets me in brownies. It's not even the chocolate. Yeah. It's just the chewy aesthetic. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to share my candy corn peanuts recipe. So Ooh, please know. do. Yeah, uh, just yeah. mix candy corn with peanuts. Like, oh, I like one that. To one. Yeah, oh, it's good. Cool. It tastes like a payday. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah. Actually, that would make sense. That would make sense. And, and I love you could paydays. put chocolate chips in it and make it a Herald payday. Oh, that'd be good. Yeah. Okay. Ooh. You know, we should like do like a Stephen King style like recipe thing. That'd be kind of We fun. should. Yeah. Oh, that would be so much fun. Yeah. Look at this. Oh, coming up with I ideas know. here in Chapelweight. <laughs> As if we didn't have enough content already. I know. You know? Jesus <laughs> Christ. Anyway, well, look, this has been fun. I've had fun. The candle mm, wick is going out, and I don't want to be stuck here when it's like pitch black. So I'm I know, out, especially right. if Vin Diesel's not around. So um, well, I don't want to alarm you, but I think I'm now a vampire. So oh my god, you might want to leave. <laughs> I, I am running right now. Well, anyway, uh, long days and pleasant nights. <laughs> This has been a bloody disgusting show. Thanks for tuning in. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, and more. <laughs>